Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. This series looks at some of the most pivotal passages in Scripture, inviting us to uncover essential truths for followers of Jesus. Here's today's message. The Scripture reading is Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, followed by Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Please turn to Malachi chapter 3 in your Bible or follow along on the Sermon Notes handout or the words on the screen. Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then, once more, the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as he did in the past. The Lord of heaven's armies says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to the pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Thanks so much, Jill. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Scott Curry. I'm a pastor on staff. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, welcome to everyone here as well as online. Again, we just want to express a deep gratitude for this opportunity to be together and uh, worship in multiple ways through our giving, through our song, and then through opening our hearts and minds up to the Word of God. Today's message is... uh, just one another in the new Need to Know series. This is meant to be a recurring series, so you'll see these messages pop up periodically. These ones are meant to remind us of scriptures, themes, and events that are important for framing the Christian faith. Today is also the last day, as we heard already today, the last Sunday before Advent begins. And Advent is that period of life, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with it, that period of life uh, of, of the Christian community when we prepare for his coming. Again, cue the cute kids in the shepherd or angel costume or whatever. Cue the exhausted man and woman begging for a room to lay down and, as it turns out, deliver a baby. Again, cue the songs, the scents, And the scenes, here we go again, right? 
Well, I want to, uh, this morning, today, I want to try to get us ready for this season once again. But I want to take a longer look. I want to step back a bit farther than start to narrow right down on the time when Jesus was born. I want to look at the circumstances leading up to his birth. And I want to do that, and by doing that, I want to point out something that I think has an exciting, inspirational quality, as well as a comforting pastoral one. Or put a little differently, my goal with this message today is to offer a reason again to be excited about the season of Advent, even though it might be your, if you're like me, this will be my 54th Advent season. But I want to remind us that we can be excited, there's a reason, there's at least one, to be excited again for this season, and also to be encouraged in our own life. So let me start off by giving you kind of the big idea for today's message. Here it is. The when is just as important as the what for a biblical worldview. Let me say that again. The when is just as important as the what for a biblical worldview, or put another way, the when is just as important uh, as the what in terms of God's work. Right? If you're like me, we, you and I, we tend to focus on the what's of our life, right? Our circumstances, the things that we find happening to our lives, and we kind of zero in, we narrow our focus down on those things. And sometimes when we do that, the danger is, if you found this maybe already in your own life, the danger is that we have the potential to start to conclude things because these things, the what's, are not resolved. And we might conclude that maybe God doesn't care or I'm not doing something right. I'm missing something. Have you ever felt like God was not listening to you? Or maybe worse, maybe that God had moved on from you? Have you ever gone through a period of your life when God seemed to be immediately present in your life? Those sweet times when the scriptures were alive to your heart and mind, your prayer life felt meaningful and your interactions with people felt inspired, then it just kind of floats away. Your Bible reading felt boring, your prayer life distracted, and you found yourself purposefully planning more nights at home than with others. All this, potentially, because you concluded like God wasn't paying attention to you anymore. Oh, maybe it's not so much uh, that the intensity level of your experience of God has diminished as much as maybe you feel like you've never ever really encountered God, though you've tried. You read the scriptures and you conclude that you haven't experienced much, if anything, of what you read there at least not to the degree that you hoped. Or maybe it's something else that, it, that has caused you to think, if not outright pray, God, 
Are you still there? Today, I want us to think about this question. And I want us to think about this question in light of the period of time between the two main sections of our Bible. Those sections that we refer to as the Old Testament and the New Testament. So just to show you what I mean, or just to, as a bit of an illustration, I want to take your Bible, take your Bible, whether you have it here or, or on your phone or whatever. And what I want you to do is I want you to go to that passage that Jill read for us, Malachi chapter four, right to the very end. And then I want you to take that page or I want you to scroll down, take the page and flip it over or just scroll down. What comes after, this won't work for everybody because I know some people have different Bibles, but for the most of us it'll work. If you flip the page or if you scroll down, what's next? New Testament, right? In particular, Matthew. Well, you need to know that the, that flip of the page or the flick of that finger covers over 400 years. 400 years. This period of time is sometimes classified with such terms as the intertestamental period. Brilliant, right? Or even more potentially provocative, the 400 years of silence. Who cares, right? Well, all that matters is just getting to the birth of Jesus anyways, right? Well, as many of you know, surrounding the story of the baby in a manger is a host of diverse characters. You've got main characters such as Zechariah, the priest, and Elizabeth, his wife, who is a relative of Mary, who end up becoming parents of John the Baptist. And then you've got Mary and Joseph. You've got the shepherds, the innkeeper, and the angels. We've also got others such as Anna, a prophet. Simeon, who was informed by God that he would see, uh, he would see God's savior before he died. You've got King Herod and the Magi. We've also have surrounding or groupings of people like the Pharisees who, uh, who uh, held to strict adherence to the Mosaic Code. You've got Sadducees, also strict adherent, uh, adherence to the Torah with some unique conclusions. Most famously, there's no resurrection. We've got zealots who intend to reinstate the geopolitical power of Israel through force. You've got the Essenes who rejected the current priesthood and temple and so set up their own community outside of Jerusalem. All of these people didn't just appear out of nowhere. They too had a birth story that emerged from out of a family story. Each family story, as you know, also emerged from within a larger cultural narrative that includes particular places, traditions, ordinary and special activities related to customs and daily habits related to expected roles, related to gender and life stage and so on. And just like us, they were trying to figure out how to live well with the resources available to them, including what it means to be God's people without what appears to be any direct communication from God for over 400 years. Now, what difference could that make? Let me illustrate this by telling you the story of how I proposed to Michelle. 
<laughs> yeah, all right, thank you for that. Um, Michelle and I met in the summer of August, actually, of 1993. And we started dating then. Sorry, uh-oh, you better not tell Michelle that. We actually met earlier than that. Uh, and uh, she thinks we started meeting in, uh, in, the, in August of 1993. Later, about a, f- a month or two later, that's when I started my first pastoral position. I was a youth pastor in Maple Ridge. She was here in Victoria. Uh, going to UVic, I was over in Maple Ridge as we started to date, started to get to know each other. And so our weekends, usually uh, we spent our week just corresponding, talking on the phone, probably writing a few letters back when letters were written. And then the weekends would come and Michelle would hop on the ferry and we would go and, and we would visit in person for the weekend. Because as you know, it's a little difficult sometimes for pastors to get away on the weekends. <laughs> and, uh, and that was our life for a number of months. Up until January 1994. When I decided that something more serious needed to be done. So I made a phone call to her father. And we talked. And I asked permission. And I was granted his permission to ask his daughter to be my wife. Now, as soon as that happened, I started to try to be a little bit creative with what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. And it was fairly easy because, as as you know now, now know about us, right, we were apart for most of the week. So I could go ring shopping, I could, you know, have phone calls, I could meet, I could plan different things without uh, her there. It was easy. The problem was when to do it, when to, when to ask the question. So what happened was I decided I was going to surprise her with the question. Now, that kind of sounds romantic, right? Just wait. <laughs> so I decided to surprise her. So in order to surprise her, though, I had to figure out some way of getting to her without making any plans, without her knowing plans, right? So what I had to tell her, she was making plans. This was over the weekend of January 7th, January 8th, right in there. The other piece you need to know about this is January 7th is her birthday. So I was was thinking, this is great. I'm going to double up, and this is going to be the best birthday gift for her ever. But but the problem is, and I I really, so those of you who are going to get mad, you're going to see it right away. I didn't. And I realized the error of my ways, so don't get mad at me. But I now do. Uh, But what I did is I said, I told Michelle over the phone, I said, this weekend is not going to work for you to come over. I'm just a little bit too busy, or some kind of lame excuse like that. And I I was thinking, "Ah, okay, I've got her now, right? So now I'm going to be able to get over. I'm going to sneak over that weekend, and I'm going to surprise her with my presence. Well, I mean, you're happy to know that she did say yes, but what I learned after the fact is this. Because she had no idea of some of the details that I was working on, she took the fact that I made up some kind of lame excuse to break our tradition, she thought I was getting ready to break up with her. Right? But you, those of you who know understand why, and I totally get it, right? 
But you can see that Michelle was used to relating with me in a certain way, and when I changed the conditions around our relationship, she was left in the dark. And so she drew conclusions that made sense to her, even though I was planning something totally different. She was thinking I was moving on, and, I, and I'm moving closer. But she didn't know that yet. It is possible for you and I to interpret our immediate experience with God in a way that concludes something very different than what he is actually doing. But unlike me, God has not left us without insight to help us draw a more accurate conclusion. So I want us to look, I want us to learn a couple lessons as we start to get a view from the gap, what I'm calling, this gap, this period of 400 years between Malachi, we're gonna look at Malachi in just a moment, and Matthew. I'll, experience, uh, I'll explain the gap shortly. So, so God's people, the Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrews, they were known in various ways throughout history. They were used to God interacting with them, right? You know the stories. Many of you know the stories, right? All the way back to Adam and Eve where there was just an intimacy there with God. Then we've got Noah, God communicating with an individual, and Abraham, again, and Moses. And then, you, and then he starts to spread it out across um, uh, uh, communicating through judges to the people of Israel, and then you move into a time of the prophets and kings. And this is the time that, that is sort of 400 years previous to the end of Malachi. So for all that time, and then for an intense period of time, for about 400 years, you've got God interacting directly with his people. So there was always somebody in place, God had always designed somebody in place, so that when the people decided, I want to know what God thinks about this, I want to know what we should do as a country if a king needed some information, some insight. Oh, everybody knew. Well, you go talk to that person, or you go talk to that person. You go talk to Samuel, or Nathan, or you go talk to Elijah, or Jeremiah, or Isaiah. There was always somebody in place for the people to go talk to so that they could hear from God. People got used to, over generations, over centuries, to hear directly and immediately from God. And that only intensified as uh, the circumstances around the destruction of Jerusalem intensified. Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed in about 586 BCE. But within a lifetime, within about 500 years, and so, so, sorry, let me back up, that destruction, right, that was catastrophic to the nation of Israel. But God had been warning them, right? You, those of you who know the story, this had been happening for, for, um, for a long time where God is calling people just to come back to him, trust him, remove all the other gods, don't go that direction, come to me. But the people kept turning their back time and time again. And so finally it just came to, to a point where God said enough is enough and the city, the, the, the whole locus of their identity was destroyed, and the temple within that city was destroyed, gone, nothing. Moreover, the people were scattered, right? They were taken into captivity. 
They had left their land. They had left again part of that identity of, of, of who they were because the land was part of that promise. But within 50 years, the exiles started to return. And it looked like God was um, again setting back up that nation. So within 50 years, in about 538, the first exiles started to return and started the whole process of rebuilding that identity, that rebuilding that city, rebuilding that temple. And you can read this uh, history in, in places like Ezra and Nehemiah in our, in our Bible. You can hear the prophetic words because God was still speaking to them through prophets like Zechariah and Haggai and these words that we read in the book of Malachi. God's still communicating, pleading with his people to listen to him. So the Jewish people were used to knowing who to go to if they wanted to know what God wanted. And then we come to the book of Malachi. And as I mentioned, the gap begins with the message of Malachi delivered around 400 BCE. What did we read? Some pretty dramatic words, right? Pretty dramatic promises. In Malachi 3, we, we read these words, right? The, the author says, look, I am sending my message. This is God's word, right, to the people of Israel. Look, I am sending my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. It sounds like it's going to happen right away, right? He also says in, in Malachi 3, then the Lord you are seeking, right? Here's the words of the Lord still. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Well, that made sense because the temple now was there again. The messenger of the covenant whom you look, so, or look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies, right? This great promise. These words that God was saying, here, I'm coming. You're gonna see this and you're gonna see this and then you'll know. Then in Malachi 4, again, we have something similar, right? Starting in verse 2, in verses 2 and 3, we read, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. That all made sense, right? Because they're just getting back together. They're, they're just feeling a sense of renewed identity. All of this was being healed, or, or they could take this, these words of healing and apply them directly to their, their lives, thinking this was happening right now. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. On the day when I act, right? On the day when I act, they're already coming back. This day has begun. You will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies, right? These great promises. And then he says in verse four of Malachi chapter four, uh, starting in verse four and in verse five, he says two things. Number one, Remember to obey the law of Moses. And then verse five, look, here's that word again, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah. So you know where I'm going with this, right? These words came to the, the Jewish people who were just getting reestablished in, the, the, uh, in Jerusalem and ha having uh, renewed the temple there again and, get, and getting all of their worship going again of, of, uh, of God, of Yahweh. And they hear these words that we have recorded in Malachi. And so the assumption, I can imagine them saying, okay, maybe not today, but surely tomorrow. 
Well, no, it didn't happen tomorrow, so surely the next day, because look, all of this was starting to happen. All of this was building up again. Day after day, generation after generation, as it turns out, these words are still not coming to pass. Can you imagine then how the people who heard these words might have responded? As I, was, as I already noted, it was over 500 years until these words of Malachi were fulfilled. If you look at, for instance, Matthew chapter 17, you have Jesus identifying Elijah with whom? You know, John the Baptist. He's already appeared. This is a fulfillment of Malachi. And of course, you know Jesus in the temple himself. His, the messenger was there, was present. And he upended the tables. And he said, you're getting it all wrong. But what we have actually for us is a bit of a treasure trove of insight into how the people responded to this gap, this growing gap. Right? We have this section of, of, of literature that variously is called the Apocrypha. If you're a Protestant or if you're Catholic or Orthodox, you're, you refer to them as the Deuterocanonical books, right? the second can, canon for, for some. We look at these not as, as scripture on the same par. Nobody does the same par as, as, as the uh, 66 books, the main books of the Bible. But what we have in them is a treasure trove of insight into how people responded to this gap, this time period, this lag between what they were expecting of God, how they were expecting him to act, and how he, was, how he actually acted in time. And if you read these books, you, see, you hear reminders of God's words spoken to them in the past, people calling each other to say, remember what was said. Remember the prophets, remember the messages, remember the promises that God had made. You hear these, you read these wonderful prayers to God, asking God to, to fulfill his promises, asking God for strength to endure, asking God for, uh, for empowering the nation to live well. You have descriptions of how people responded to the circumstances in which they found themselves. Examples of faithful living, attention to past instructions and promises. You have stories, some of them retold, some old ones with new additions to help remind people of the promises of God. They provide us insight in some of the attitudes of the Jewish people who are trying to come to terms with how they should live in the gap, in this time period that was taking longer than they expected. Because some were in Jerusalem at the time and others were still spread around the Mediterranean world. But they lacked that immediate personal response from God. If you read those books, and there's roughly 20 of them, there's, it's devoid of that. And then God said, and God sent his messenger. None of that. It's all people like us who are trying to come to terms with what God is doing and when it's going to happen. So year after year, generation after generation, people had to come to terms with how to live. And so that's what then, out of all of that, emerges 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and the Essenes and you get Anna and Simeon and Mary and Joseph and you get all of these characters that's, that are a sudden alive and that we, we refer to and that we, we, we learn from during the Advent season leading up to Christmas, the birth of Jesus. These people who are waiting and yet some are still living faithfully to God's promises. What did they do so successful? Not everyone, right? We see that. And if you know the, the story of Jesus, you know he encountered opposition. Some people who had kind of locked in, and this is a challenge to us, people who had kind of locked into the sense that, well, God's not doing anything, and so we've got to take control. And you've got, you have this overdetermined, this overcooked kind of sense of responsibility that groups like the Pharisees started to have. Because they thought it wasn't God was, was far away, so it's up to us. We need to make sure we identify all the details, how we're going to live exactly uh, how, and make sure everybody is doing that, the same thing. But there were still some in the midst of all of that who remained focused on Yahweh, who, remained in, uh, who trusted him to act out of faith. These are our examples. And, but what did they do? What did they do? How did they do this? How did they manage during this time? Well, to do that, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. And we're going to look at Jesus and then we're going to apply it back to the situation that they were in and then to us as well. In Hebrews chapter 12, we have an example that Jesus sets for us. The way that the author of Hebrews explains it. You know this passage, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses, the witnesses that chapter 11 just described, all of these people who lived out their faith, who stayed, who did what they could to stay true to the promises of Yahweh. Let us then strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance. There's that key word, endurance. I want you to remember that. Short, it's going to appear again shortly. Uh, run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this, Hebrews continues, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Now here it is. Because of the joy awaiting him, what happened? He endured the cross. There's that word again, endure. Disregarding its shame, now he seated the place of honor beside God's throne. He endured. I want us to just settle here for a second and consider this. Jesus enduring what this meant. It's not just that, that Jesus kind of gritted his teeth. And he said, I'm just going to do this. Endure means this. Literally, the word means to remain by. Jesus remained by. What did he remain by? He remained by the promises and the trust that he had in the Father. So it's not just us, and so we learn from Jesus, so it's not just us kind of gritting our teeth and, and, and gritting and bearing it, but it's us making sure we recognize what is ultimate value, or we set in our mind what is our ultimate value. What are these things that are important to us? And for Jesus, it was the trust in his Father that through it all, 
he would be victorious. And this is the attitude of these people in this gap period. And friends, brothers and sisters, this can be our attitude as well. That we remain by, that we recognize the promises and we remain by them. And then we see this as Jesus did, the joy of the vision of what is to come. He endured, he put the trust he had in his father ahead of the agony of the cross. And faith is living out based on belief. So, let me summarize. God is active. God is, is preparing. Uh, he's ordering the world and, and putting his plans into place. And when uh, his preparatory work is complete, then he steps back. Or he steps into other ways of dealing with his people and then time pass and people wait. But then God, scripture says, he remembers. It's not that God is forgotten in some way, but this word remembers means that God is, then God acts. There'll come a time, scripture promises, that God will act again. And it's the, it's the season of Advent that, remem- that reminds us of that. This baby born is a demonstration of God after 400 years suddenly intervenes in history, again. And that, can, that should spur us on, excite us as we, as we are in our own gap period, as we wait year after year for Jesus to come again. This summary is both an overview of God's providential involvement in the world as well as God's providential, or providence over our individual lives. Providence means God's care. It means that a Christian worldview includes this idea that God is involved in the circumstances of life and history such that what he promises will not fail. Providence takes time. We are not the only people who have gone through a period of enduring. This does not mean God is not working and preparing his next direct intervention. We can make, uh, as we kind of summarize and conclude this message, we can kind of, as we're thinking about it and, and um, uh, evaluating and assessing it against our own lives, we can make the circle smaller and smaller within this theme. We can start with Advent, right? We can consider our approach and our attitude towards this season as we yet again encounter this time. And we can let it remind us though, again, that God will act. God acted and he promises to act again. But maybe the the grand scope is a bit too big. Maybe it doesn't really bother you that here we are again about to celebrate Jesus' first coming year after year the same. Maybe it's something more immediate. Maybe it's the timing of health matters. Things don't seem to change. Doesn't God care? Maybe it's the timing of family discord. Doesn't it matter that, to God that my children are a stranger, that my marriage is failing? Maybe it's something else that draws us into a mindset that opens up the option for us to ask, God, are you still there? So, While we wait for the when, here then, consider these as suggestions for some steps to take when God feels distant. 
Number one, recall the what. This is an internal decision. This is where each of us as individuals need to interact and decide and make a decision for ourselves. Are we open to this possibility? Do we hear the words of Jesus to ourselves? When we read in scripture, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That was spoken centuries ago, but it's true today because Jesus is alive. And so he invites us to come to him. Later on, Jesus says, not only come to him, come to me, but he says then, remain in me. Remain with me, stay with me. Endure, right? Stay, remain by me, Jesus says. Trust me. That day is coming. That day is coming that was promised by the angels in Acts chapter one. After Jesus ascended into the clouds, the angels appeared and asked the disciples, why are they staring? Obviously. But then he says this, the same Jesus who you saw just raised will come back down in the same way. He'll, he'll come again. He's coming. Keep watch. In the Apocrypha, we read some amazing prayers of people who are waiting for God to act. And we can use that as an example to continue our relationship, to continue to call out to God, continue to ask him for insight, ask him for strength, continue to cry out to him and say, God, please help me endure. Help me to stand by your promises that you are coming again. In spite of my health, in spite of my circumstances, I want to stay by. But that is an individual decision that you need to make. And if you've never made it to follow Christ, that's the first one to come to terms with saying, Jesus, I believe you are here. I believe you are alive. I'm starting to understand more and more. And so I want to commit myself to you, to surrender to you. In addition to recalling the what, that is the promises. What is at the heart of this? Jesus' promises, God's promise that he will return, that he will set everything straight no matter how it appears right now. Number two is then review the what. First one is recall the what. That's an internal, that's an individual thing. Now it's review the what. This is, this is a chance for us to interact with each other, to gain the best possible view of what's going on. From, from each other, those of us who are alive now, but also to learn from others who have gone before us. Do I, and ask yourselves these questions, do I have the best view? Ask each other, am I understanding this? Am I missing something? How do I live this out? How do I live in spite of the challenges that I'm facing? What can I do? This is where we might need to make changes in our life to, to, to make God, uh, to, to bring Jesus into the core, to be able to make sure that we are remaining by him and nothing else is getting in between us. So we recall the what, we review the what, and then here, this is what Advent can be all about for us. We replay the what. We stand together as a community and we allow the story of God to be told year after year, no matter how long it takes to remind us of the fact that God acts, 
that there is a period of time, there is a when, and it matters. God is preparing things. God is, uh, God is providing opportunity for many more to come to him. And so we replay the what. We sit or we gather together and we remind ourselves of the circumstances around the birth of Jesus and we celebrate that. We let it remind us of, of God's acting in, uh, in time. And in this case, after 400 years, So we recall the, uh, the what, we review the what, we replay the what, and at this point I'm going to invite the music team to come back up as we, f- we finish off. We recall, we review, we replay, and then what do we do? We endure the when. We endure, and remember that word, if there's anything that you take away from this message, remember that word, endure. It's not gritting our teeth, it's not pulling up our own socks, and it's not doing things just harder and better. It means we stand by Jesus. We entrust our life to him. He is the one that guides us. He is the one that leads us. And so in that, we endure, no matter else, what else comes, just like Jesus, who endured the cross, who stood by the promises of his Father, we can do the same thing. We had people before us do the same thing, endure trials and struggles, and we can do that too. It's not because we are just as good or better or anything, but we have resources that God has given us. And that's what's different about how God works and how I worked in terms of my engagement, right? I didn't give Michelle enough to to trust me with that message. God has given us sufficient to trust him in the midst of this. So we can endure, we can remain by. The why is not always clear, but the what is promised. So the when is just a matter of time. Because we know what happens, Advent is an example for us. When the time was right, the promise of God was fulfilled and Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, was born. It was just a matter of time. It is the same in our lives. When the time is fulfilled, God's what will be revealed in our lives. Let us encourage each other with these words. Would you pray with me? Father, as we now turn the corner kind of in our yearly cycle. Once again, we look towards the manger. Remind us, Father, that this was not just out of the blue. This is not just a a fun story, an an excuse to gather friends and family and trade gifts, although those are fun bonuses. But this is an opportunity to remind ourselves, both as individuals and as a community, that God, you are faithful to your promises. And so God, I pray that this Advent season, maybe even more than others in the past, would would be a time when we can recall and we can um, 
review and we can replay the what so that, so that our, our trust in you grows, so that we can encourage each other. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. And, and though you know us as humans, you know in our hearts and minds sometimes we struggle with the when and certainly with the why. Father, I thank you. You've given us what we need so that we can stand by Jesus and live our life accordingly as he did. In Jesus' name. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.